So today's title is From Promise to Presence. From Promise to Presence. In Jeremiah 29, 10, it says this, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise. I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise. One of the great truths about the promises of God is the fact that God has intimately and personally attached himself to his promises. When you find his promises, you find his presence. You can't separate the two. So the sequence might look something like this. When we believe God's promises, right? Abraham believed God, was counted for him as righteousness. When we believe God's promises, his promises begin to pursue us. And when his promises overtake us, we find ourselves in God's presence. In other words, he is our great and exceeding reward. He says that to Abraham in Genesis 15.1. After these things, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, his promises are spoken promises. In the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. When you find his word, you find his presence. When he speaks a promise and you find that word of promise, you find his presence. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. It is he whom we are after. And when you find his presence, you really find that the promises are secondary to the fact that you've discovered him. You find yourself in the company of the elders who are taking their crowns and throwing them at the feet of the lamb. Worthy is the lamb, you think. God's intention from the start with Abraham was to develop a relationship with him that would allow for God's blessings and promises to be realized by Abraham. So in Genesis 18, beginning verse 1, we have this awesome story. Okay? Uh, how many of you are familiar with Bedouin? You know, Bedouins are uh, roaming tribes of Arabic-based people group. They're out in the desert, in the wilderness. The, the Bedouin know no borders. They don't have to carry passports. They can go in and out of all of the Middle Eastern nations right across the border. No one stops them. No one questions them because they're Bedouin, and they've been doing this from time immemorial. And if you were invited to a Bedouin tent... Right? You would be in a tent as big and possibly bigger than this whole room. Right? It's not one of those, you know, throw it on the ground, a spring load pop-up tent. Right? That's not a Bedouin tent. I mean, it is huge. They bring in their camels at night and keep them down one end of the tent and the kids at the other and, you know, a kitchen in the middle and just this massive, the floors are done with um, carpets and, and the whole shebang. It's an awesome Awesome experience to go to a Bedouin tent. And Abraham was pretty much a Bedouin as he traveled through the promised land. Now, just so you understand this, and as you're reading through the Old Testament about Abraham, and it says, and 
Abraham took up his tent and went from Shiloh to Shechem, let's say. All right? So it would be a tent as big as this room. Uh, maybe not as high a ceiling, but at least as big. And we know that from the story of Abraham pursuing the five kings, that he had 318 male servants who could take up arms, not counting their wives and children. So if you went to Abraham's tent, you really went to Abramville. He was pretty much a small town, mobile. Okay? So when, when, when you read that, you know, he took up his tent, kind of visualized this whole host of people moving down through the trails. So for a while, he settles at a place called Mamre. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, O Lord. Now remember, Abram, Abraham is a patriarch. In Abram's clan, there's nobody higher. But when he sees these three, he falls to, on his face, his face to the ground, and he says, O Lord. So who do you think he's meeting? He's meeting God, and he knows it. He knows it, okay? O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourself under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. Now, can you imagine this? Rick, are you home? You home, Rick? It's Jesus at the door. And, you know, I was going through Laconia, and I stepped in some stuff. Would you wash my feet? Would you give me lunch? Right? Can you imagine Abraham washing God's feet? Huh? Do you ever wash anyone's feet? It is so emotionally charged to humble yourself on your knees in front of another person and take their feet and wash and dry them and bless them. And here's Abraham. God stops by. Dust and desert dirt all over his feet. Abraham says, oh, my chance. This is my chance. Get me some water. I'm going to wash his feet. He says, let me give you a morsel of bread. Now, let's, this is the Bedouin's idea of a morsel of bread. Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three sayers of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. I mean, this is, this is a full-blown Texas barbecue, right? A morsel of bread. <laughs> and he stood by them under the tree while they ate, and they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. 
and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of woman, women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I I want us to just pause here a second. Because, you know, the impossibility of God's promise to Sarah at that moment overwhelmed her to the point that the only thing she could do was laugh at God. I mean, she was in her 90s. And I'm going to have a kid? I mean, Abe ain't been too much fun in the last 30 or 40 years, and Viagra wasn't on the market yet. You know? I mean, what's up with that? Is anything too hard for God? What is the thing that you're up against? What is the thing that is pressing down on your life that you say, oh, if I could just get through this, if it just make a way, if this would just stop, if I could just survive this, if I could get a hold of this or let go of that, what is that thing that seems so impossible that it keeps pressing you down to, to the ground and you can't serve the Lord the way you want to serve the Lord? You can't serve your family the way you want to serve the family because this is too heavy. What is that thing? And ask yourself this question, is there anything too hard for my God? The answer has to be no. It has to be no. If it's anything other than that, you need to go out the door and come back in and start over again because you missed something along the way. Our God is an awesome God. He's full of grace and mercy and loving kindness. There is nothing impossible for him. Is there anything too hard for the Lord. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. (laughs) You got to understand, folks, there are no secret closets in the kingdom. There is nothing you can do behind closed doors you, you, know, you can come here on Sunday and put on your Sunday best. And when you go home, you can be who you've been to your wife or to your kids or to your neighbors, and it's not a secret to him. Your words you speak in the privacy of your own home echo through heaven like a resounding gong. There are no secret places before him. The eyes of the Lord see it all. The ears of the Lord hear it all. And I, you know, I hope this puts the fear of the Lord in your heart because it will give you understanding. And then you'll gain wisdom. Oh, yes, you laughed. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way, 
The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Listen, you have been chosen. You have been chosen for the same purpose. Your, your family, your children are such an awesome ministry in the sight of the Lord. You know, you want to know what God is doing? You really want to know what God is up to? Bless your children. Bless your children. Invest yourself in your family. Okay? Shall I not tell Abraham because he, because he, okay, what did he do? Invested in his family in the ways of the Lord. As there is a reward in that. And I know it doesn't always feel like there is. I had enough teenagers go through the house to know. It doesn't always feel good, you know. But I got to tell you, all my children bless me now. All my children. There isn't a one that I'm not blessed from now, that I don't thank the Lord for every single one of them. And all the trials and all the tribulations that we went through at various points in their lives mean nothing to me because of who they are today by the investment. Here's, here's the key line. So that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. So that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. When you find the promises of God, you will find them extended by his hand. The Lord wants to bring you in his presence his promises. God wants to be involved in our lives. But more than that, he wants to be intimately involved in our lives. So intimately involved in our lives that when we are blessed, we are blessed by him. And this is where we started the whole series. If you remember, in 2 Corinthians 1.20, the first part of that verse is, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. In him. All the promises of God find their yes in him. There's no maybes. There are no no's. They find their yes in him. All of God's promises are realized through a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want God's best, if you want God's best, it's in Christ. If you want God's favor, it's found in Christ. If you want God's blessings for your life, they are found in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And if you really want to know God, you must find him in and through Christ and Christ alone. He says this in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It's all in him. And it's all yes in him. Promises and the blessings of God are found in the presence of God. And when you encounter God, I mean really encounter God, you encounter all his promises and blessings. Check out this conversational encounter between God and Moses in Exodus 33. I love this story. It's so awesome. 
beginning in verse 12, Moses says to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And the Lord said to him, my presence will go with you. My presence. You see, he asked for favor. He asked for knowledge and understanding. And God said, okay, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. How many of you know it's easier to let God do than trying to do for God? If you're striving and struggling to be a Christian, you've got a works-based religion. I will, my presence will go with you, and you will find rest. God wants to orchestrate your walk with him. He wants to enable you, empower you, encourage you, and build you into the image of his son. Our problem is, We don't believe that will work. We feel we have to come alongside God and help him to help us. I know it worked for Joe, but you don't know me. (laughs) For me, I really need this, and you need to do that, and if you just do this, I know it would all work out, you know, and he's, oi vey. I think he speaks Hebrew, oi vey. He said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Listen, the world is deadly out there. It's deadly. You know, Yahoo, go on to Yahoo and see what's going on in Oslo. It's deadly out there. There was another shooting, I think, 10 in Washington State. You know, it's deadly out there. We need to be distinctly his people. He has a life for us. He has a a protection for us. He has a, a sense of worth and value for us. that There isn't anything in the world that can offer to us what he offers to us. We need to be distinct by having his presence. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses jumps in, please, show me your glory. Right? I love that. I love that. I want to see your glory. And he said, the Lord said, I will make my goodness pass before you. Moses wants glory. God shows him goodness. Moses asked for glory. God shows him goodness. What's that say to you? God is good, and it's glorious. It's glorious. Hmm? I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. The Lord, that's in capitals, it is Yahweh. 
and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So now watch what this looks like in Exodus 34, beginning in verse 5. The Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord. Okay, all caps, L-O-R-D, all caps. That means that word is capitalized in its use here, is translated from the Hebrew word Yahweh, Yahweh, which is trans, a transliteration of the tetragrammaton Y-H-W-H. In other words, it's Yahweh with all the vowels pulled out. It makes it unpronounceable. But for Moses, God put all the vowels in. Moses heard the name of the Lord and then withdrew all the vowels. It is the ineffable, I love that word, ineffable and unpronounceable name of God. Now, the word ineffable means this, incapable of being expressed or described in words. It's inexpressible like ineffable joy, not to be spoken because of its sacredness, unutterable, the ineffable name of the deity. So if you were to go online to an Orthodox Jewish site and start to read this stuff, and you'd see G blank D, they leave out the vowel because they believe God is so sacred that you can't even say the word God. That is what Yahweh is. Yahweh is the unpronounceable, ineffable name of God. Now, why did Moses pull out the vowels? Because when you know his name, you know his power. Now, I don't just mean know his power. You know his power. You have, by knowing his name, the ability to express out from yourself the power of God. So you see Moses doing all these miraculous uh, signs and wonders throughout the wilderness because he knew the name of God. Now, here's good news for you, folks. There is no other name given under heaven. There is no other name given under heaven by which you must be saved. God, in the salvation process, has revealed his name to us, the name of Jesus. In that, in knowing that name, Jesus says, greater things than I have done, you shall do also. Because you know my name. Because I go to the Father. See, there is power in the name of God. So God reveals his name to Moses, and then he defines his name to him. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Aren't you glad for that? Mm -hmm. 
abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. Aren't you happy about that one? Gee whiz. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children? Can I say to you who have suffered as victims, some of you from early childhood, the perpetrator has gotten away with nothing. They have gotten away with nothing. Justice will be served in God's terms. You do not have to carry the burden of being a victim because God has taken a stand for you. Justice will be served. Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation, And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, Yahweh, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. God promises Moses his presence. Moses asks to see his glory. God shows Moses his goodness. All the blessings, all the promises, and all the glory and goodness are found here. In him. And God places Moses on the rock and then in the cleft of the rock. And I hope you, you picked that up in the reading that you caught that. First he's on and then he's in the rock. First he's on the rock and then he's in the rock. And I, I want you to understand what the Apostle Paul says about this dynamic in 1 Corinthians 10 1 through 4. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. When the cloud came down, when God came down on the mountain to Moses in the cloud, remember I read that? All of Israel was around the base of the mountain. They were all under that cloud. They were all under that glory. They all were under that covenant. They all were under those promises. They were all under the goodness. This is not a one-man show. This is a corporate thing. When God blesses, he blesses his church. If you think you can survive... Out in that world, outside of the church, you're making a mistake. Because if you leave the church, you leave the realm that the cloud comes down on. You leave the sphere of promise and goodness and grace and mercy. And you don't want to be alone out there. It's deadly. It's deadly out there. Our God is a good God. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. You see, there is a rock here by me, said Yahweh. Christ is right here by me. Stand on him. Stand on him. 
And as I pass by, as you see my glory, as you feel my goodness, as my promises uh, just showered down on your life, I'm going to embed you into Christ. And you will be in Christ, and Christ will be in you. And you will be secure, and you'll be able to stand and continue to stand. And what could possibly separate you from the love of Christ? Nothing. Nothing. Because you're in the cleft of the rock. You see, and he stands right here by me. It's a good place to be in the church. It's a good place to have a foundation, a sure foundation in Christ. It's a good place to find your life embedded in the cleft of the rock and in the purposes that are found in the promises that are found in Christ Jesus because they're all yes and amen. Do you know Christ today? Do you know him? Not about him. Do you know him? Have you been set on that rock? Have you surrendered your life and your heart fully to him so that he can show you his goodness, so that he can put you in the cleft of the rock today? Jeremiah thirty-three fourteen says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made. The days are coming when I will fulfill the promise I made. Some of you have been waiting a long time for the promises of God to be realized in your life. God is saying today, the day's coming. The day's coming. The process has begun. The goodness of God is beginning to be shown. The mercies of God are beginning to be felt. Lives are being changed and impacted in miraculous ways, and some of it might not look real good. Some of you may be standing in a place right now where you're wondering, what the heck is he doing? I say to you, the far end is good. The far end is good. I caught a glimpse last night. I, I didn't even stay at the movie. I, I had seen it before. Mel Gibson uh, was in a movie about, um, he was a, an Episcopal priest, and his wife gets killed in a terrible auto accident. She pinned to a tree, and she says her last words, which were really kind of bizarre. You know, tell Bobby, swing with all your might, you know. And, and he loses his faith. This kid's got some type of lung disease, and he's always on the inhaler. And, you know, and the earth gets invaded by aliens, right? And it's just, it's, it's a bizarre move, but it's about faith. It's really cool. And the aliens show up at his home, and they've got this, these fingers that these needles come out, and they push out a deadly gas, and they got his son, who's got this lung condition, who's lost his inhaler, and Billy, breathe. And the poison gas comes out, and Bobby, who never made it to the big lead, his nephew, his bat is up on the wall, and he grabs it and swings with all his might. And knocks the head right off that alien being, right? And all of a sudden, he realizes if his son didn't have the lung, which he was cursing God, that you know, my son's got a lung disease, my wife is dead. Yeah, what's this? If all of that hadn't happened, they wouldn't have survived that moment. Because if he didn't have the lung disease, he would have breathed in the poison. But because he had the lung disease, he didn't take anything in. If his wife hadn't died in that 
that state that she was in, she would have never said, tell Bobby, swing with all your might, and Bobby wouldn't have killed the alien. You see, all God's purposes come to good. So I don't know where you're standing today in God's promises, but I can guarantee you, if you stay steadfast in the cleft of the rock, as bizarre as it might look, listen, swing with all your might. Swing with all your might because it's going to be a good thing. God is working things out. Today, the Bible says it's the day of salvation. Today. Today is the day of promise. Today, right now, his presence is here. His presence is here. We are here. We have worshipped. We have praised. We have prayed. His presence is here. I know that. I know that. Today is your day. 